Please open your Bibles to a, to a passage that we've heard read this morning already, to Philippians chapter 2. And in the, uh, what time we have this morning, I'd like to just look at, look at the incarnation, look at the entering into this world of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and particularly from the perspective of this passage in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. Let's read them and see what the Lord has for us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning's message is called The Incarnation. Path to death and path to glory. And the reason for that title is what we see clearly in this passage is by coming to earth, this baby who came to earth in the manger, this baby came to die. We often can forget that at Christmas time, but this baby in the manger came to die. And in dying for our sins, he received the highest name. And so let's dive in and look at this. Number one, the incarnation of the Son of God. The incarnation of the Son of God. And here we're going to see three contrasts. What Paul is saying is, even though this, this other thing happened. There's three of them here. The first contrast, the one with all rights surrendered them. The one with all rights surrendered them. He says in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And what Paul is saying is this, clearly, Jesus is God. He's God. And yet Jesus doesn't cling to his rights. He doesn't cling to the honor and the fame and the praise due him. If anyone deserved to not suffer, if anyone deserved praise, if anyone deserved to not go to the cross, it would be Jesus. And then the amazing contrast here is the one who has all rights. Surrendered them. You, you and I are tempted to fight for our rights. We think we have rights. And to some degree, we sort of do, although all of our rights are borrowed rights. We have no inherent rights. The only inherent right that you and I have now to have is to enter judgment now. That's the only right we have. Anything other than entering to judgment now is grace. And the rights that we have come borrowed because we bear God's image. And we, we don't have rights, not in the sense that God has rights. And yet so often we're busy fighting for our rights and defending our rights. And here, the one with all rights surrendered them. Secondly, the Lord of all becomes the servant of all. 
The Lord of all becomes the servant of all. Jesus is in the highest position of authority by virtue of being God. He made all things, and as the author of all things, he has the authority over all things, for they are his. We heard this morning again that all things were made through him and by him and for him. They exist. And so here is the one who has the right to to call on all of creation to do his will, the one who has the right to, to demand, require obedience from all things, And he takes the form of a servant. Maybe a better translation would be of a slave. You can't miss this contrast. First, he has all rights. He surrenders them. Second, he has all authority. And he becomes a servant. Third, the creator of all things enters creation. The creator of all things enters creation. And, and we, we don't grasp this. There is no metaphor sufficient. I was wrestling to think of one. There just simply isn't one. The analogy of the tremendous step down that Jesus took in coming to earth. I want you to imagine this. For, for all of eternity past, the Son of God had never experienced pain. Never. The Son of Man had never had an unfulfilled desire. He had never experienced cold, suffering. He's never had to deal with people like us firsthand. He was in heaven with his Father, in fellowship with the angels, worshiping him. And he came down from that. People argue about what Paul means when he says he emptied himself. The point is we don't fully understand. You can't understand the step down he took in coming from heaven to here. We know that it was suffering in and of itself. In in John 17, Jesus on earth prays this prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you've given him all authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom he will. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, your servant. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And listen to this. Now, Father, give me, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You hear that? The the Lord on earth is hungering, is yearning, is missing the glory and the fellowship he had with his Father. He left that. He emptied himself. He surrendered his rights. And then he enters into creation. For the first time, the eternal God can suffer. The eternal God can bleed. The eternal God can die. Those are the three contrasts. Next, the humiliation of the Son of God. And what I mean by that is he humbled himself. And and to be fully humbled is to be humiliated. And ultimately, hanging on the cross with just a loincloth on while people scoffed and mocked and spat at him was humiliating. And here we see the path to death. He enters into our world. He lays aside his rights. He identifies with us. And we see now the Son of Man is the obedient servant. Son of Man is the obedient servant. Verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. And think about that. Jesus obeyed his parents. We know that. 
He spoke them into existence. He made them. By the power of his word, he upheld them, and he obeyed them. Isn't that amazing? You and I can struggle with obedience. And yet the contrast of what Jesus could expect, what Jesus could demand, and what he did is just absolutely amazing. We should be obeying him. He obeys his parents. He obeys the civil authorities. He obeys his father. He becomes the obedient servant. And secondly, we see the eternal God is the crucified Savior. And this is the true mystery. How, how can the eternal God die? Well, we know that no one takes his life from him. He lays it down for us. And really, this is the, the mission Jesus is on in coming to earth. Again, don't forget that. The baby in the manger that you see, that you will see in so many images this Christmas time, that baby came to die. And he died for you and he died for me. On the cross, suffering and obeying to the ultimate point of death, Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus knew no sin. This is another contrast. We expect when people are punished, it's for the wrongs they've done. And all of us have done wrongs, so in some sense all of us deserve punishment, and yet the one who did no wrong is crucified. He made him who knew no sin to be sin. And on the cross, Jesus gladly, willingly takes upon himself our sin, and he says to the Father, treat me as if I was guilty of what they had done. And, and for the first time and the only time in all of eternity, there is some, some form of division, some form of separation, even in the Godhead, as the Son cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, that's because of our sin. That's how terrible our sin is. He died on a cross. But this path that leads to death is also the path that leads to glory. And we've heard that this morning with the Lord of glory. We now will see in, in verses 9 through 11 the exaltation of the Son of God. The exaltation of the Son of God. The path to glory. Paul writes, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And see, by humbling himself, by becoming a servant and a slave, by giving up his rights, by becoming obedient to the point of death. In, in God's upside-down kingdom where to be low is to be exalted, he gets the highest name of all. The one who on earth looked as though he may have been the lowest of all. The one who, according to Isaiah 53, we would turn our face away from, nailed to a cross. That must be some criminal. That must be some urchin. That must be some terrible person. No, he's the Lord of glory. And he is vindicated. His father vindicates him. His father publicly exalts him. I love this. And he is given the highest name. 
Now what's amazing is if you read the book of Philippians, one of the things you'll notice is every time Paul mentions Jesus, he always attaches some title, some name. So it's Lord Jesus, or Christ Jesus, or our great God and Savior, Jesus. Only one time in the entire book of Philippians does the word Jesus stand by itself. And it's here. And, and, and it's emphatic. What Paul is saying is the name that God has given Jesus is so high and so exalted, it doesn't require titles. It doesn't require prefixes. It is so high that at the name of Jesus, full stop, every tongue confesses, every knee bows everywhere. Isn't that amazing? The Lord has exalted him to such a level that just at the name of Jesus. Now that, that day is not now. Today people use his name for other purposes, sadly. But I assure you there is coming a day where you and I and every created being, whoever lived and ever will live, will give homage and glory and honor to the Son. He is the highest name given to him, point B. He will receive universal honor. Even his enemies will confess Every knee will bow, some of those knees will be broken, but every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. You know, you, you talk to people, and they, they, they plan on, if I, when I stand before God, I'm going to tell them this, that, and that. No, you're not. Oh, no, you're not. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The Father has determined to, to lift and exalt his Son above all because of what he's done, because of his selflessness, because of his obedience, because of his humility, because of his laying aside of his rights. Which brings us finally to the fourth point, the imitation of the Son of God. You may have noticed up to this point that I skipped over verse 5. And as exalted of a Christology as this is, it's really, in some sense, it's incidental to the point Paul wants to make. Go back to the beginning of Philippians 2. What Paul is dealing with here is, is unity of mind, kindred spiritism, if you will. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and I think there is, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, in full accord and one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In some senses, what Paul is doing with this amazing passage of the incarnation is illustrating his point. This is an illustration to the primary command, which is go do likewise, imitate him, do this. Paul includes it in Philippians 2 for our instruction. And so just two points here, and we will be done. The first how, how can you have this mind? How can you think like this and act like this? How can you and I resist the temptation to fight for our rights? How, how can we do that? How can we resist the temptation to do that? How can we become a servant when we want to be masters? 
We want to command. We want to be God. We want to speak and have reality conform around us. How do we do that? How do we, how do we empathize with others? Well, we need the mind of Christ. Paul says where we find that here, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you can't have this mind. So the first point is you must receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Receiving to believe in him, to trust in him, to turn to him. You get this mindset, you get this new mind, you get this new spirit, you get this new attitude in Christ. It's not something you do to become a Christian but it's the mentality and the mindset and the spirit we are given as Christians. And so what a wonderful, wonderful thing it would be this Christmas season for you to receive God's gift, for you to receive Jesus Christ, for you to turn to him in repentance and faith, for you to look to him as your savior, for you to trust in his death as satisfying to the Father for your sin. That's why he came. And secondly... Then, as Christians, as those who are in Christ, we need to follow him. We need to follow him. Paul is, after all, talking to Christians. And he's telling them, you've you got to do this. You've got to follow the master. You've got to imitate Christ. And this, this is his word for us today, that we would go and do likewise. And I just want to close by reading a passage from Luke 9. Jesus was very upfront about this, but his desire, nay, his demand, that we follow him, that we act like him, that we follow in his steps. Listen to Luke 9, 23 to 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And what Jesus is saying is this. There'll be a temptation in each and every one of us to hold on to the things we have. I want to I save my life in this world. And I want to save my possessions in this world. And I want to save my power and control in this world. But he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will save it. If you're clinging and holding on to this world, you're going to perish. That's what Jesus says. Then Paul says, Jesus didn't cling to his rights. Jesus didn't cling to his possessions. Jesus didn't cling to his honor and praise. He let it go. And Jesus is saying here, all who would follow him, they need to be willing to let it go too. So I'll just close by reading this passage and just pray that God would give us the mind of Christ, that God would give us a heart to do this. It's not easy. It is hard. But it's what we're called to do. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, 
every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus took a path that led to his death but ultimately to glory and he is calling on us to pick up our crosses and die with him. Denying ourselves, preferring others, saying no to our desires so that ultimately we might share in his glory too. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the remembrance and the reminder of your son and what he has done for us. And Lord, we pray that you would give us that mindset that we would follow in his footsteps, that we would have the grace to prefer others and to let go of the things of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one final Christmas carol. Dan Barth will come and lead us.